for this huge moment in WTM history, Brett? I was going to say ready to rumble, but uh, then I'd have to pay Michael Buffer. <laughs> Maybe, if he hears this. Yeah, I guess. Actually, Bruce would come after me because he, he's the one that handles all that copyright shit. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, I mean, you do kind of need a grand entrance for episode 150. 150! Halfway to 300. That's one way to look at it. <laughs> Halfway to 300. Well, episode 75, that was our uh, mission statement episode where we kind of gave a direction for the podcast where we wanted it to go. I don't remember what that was or if we succeeded. Uh, I do mostly. Um, yeah, we succeeded. Not Maybe not with flying colors, but yeah. <laughs> We're still doing it. We haven't quit. Not yet. Not like Jones. Jones is a quitter, for he, sure. He might be back, though, in February for top 10. Oh, fuck Jones. <laughs> I don't have a queued up. Oh. Can't play it. <laughs> well, I'll say it. i add it in post. I already said it. Oh, fuck Jones. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's get it started. Welcome back. This is WTM. Watch this movie. I am Eric Mulder. So, he says, wrecked him, damn near killed him. Joining me on this what should I say? The seminal episode? Sure. <laughs> what, sure. Well, the, like, <laughs> like, a, like a Native American from uh, Florida? <laughs> no. Is that, is that what you mean? Seminal. Isn't that another word for important or grand? I guess. I hear it all the time, but I don't use it because I'm not sure the correct usage. Yeah. I often say words on this show that... I probably mix up the usage a little bit, but people know what I mean, if right? They, if they're big enough words, most people probably won't know that you did it wrong. Yeah. Uh, that voice is Mr. Positivity himself, Brett. Well, I just feel that we're all made exactly the way we're supposed to be. Oh, no, hell no, I'm a Christian, and you ain't going to sit there and blame God for how you look, okay? So I looked up Seminole, and the second definition is... Relating to or denoting semen. <laughs> the first definition is parenthesis of a work, event, moment, or figure, and parenthesis strongly influencing later developments. There we go. So that works. We're predicting we're influencing every episode that comes after. We're this. predicting that this will be a seminal episode in that we're going to just talk about semen the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is just going to be a recently seen up, but, you know, it's been a little while since we've gone over the ratings. Maybe some people are just going to hop on the show at episode 150. Good place to start. You, you know, know, don't care about the back catalog. They're like, what, what, eventually, what the fuck does that mean? 
Well, let's go through our rating system here. I think once you hear the whole system, it'll make sense. <laughs> Jason has to, yet to grasp it fully, I think. I, yeah, 100%. He does not understand the system. I trust our listeners understand it much more. You could think of it as something similar to a five-star rating system, but it's not. We do have five different ratings. Yes. The best of the best is ASAP. Um, these are, uh, I'm just going to read from the, our website here and how we describe the ratings. Uh, so in the ASAP category, these fil- films are the best of the best. Some of them are universally acclaimed classics, while others are trailblazers in their own right that we feel have affected film in a significant way. Whether they influence the way movies are made or perceived, they've made an impact in the world of film. Some can be quite divisive, but just because you don't like a particular movie doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad movie. Sometimes the most challenging films end up being the most rewarding. Watch these movies as soon as possible. So you got movies in there like 2001, Blade Runner, Days of Confused, Easy Rider, Mulholland Drive, The Matrix, Jules and Jim. It's a wide assortment of heralded mm. classics and some we deem to be equal. We judge all these movies as in the same league as each other, that type of thing. Right. And uh, the rating system is kind of ranking what order you should watch the movies in. Yeah. Like how you should prioritize your viewing. Yeah. It's not exclusively on quality. It's, uh, you know, helping you pick out the the most important movies to watch first. Mm. Uh, and the ASAP category would be the ones you would want to watch first. And we do gear it towards film lovers in general. This isn't a podcast for kind of the general population that just goes in watching popcorn movies and like that's it at the theater. Mm-hmm. Those type of people don't really listen to film podcasts anyways. Um, they might listen to a few review ones like, I wonder what the new Marvel or movie or new Transformers movie got. What do these guys think of that? Yeah, you're not going to like our podcast if you <laughs> yeah. think like that. So uh, next one down is Soonish. Watch this movie, Soonish. Uh, we describe these movies as uh, the list we have for Soonish. It might contain some of the most entertaining and enjoyable movies from our entire rating catalog. Or some of the movies have flaws, others argue, arguably do not. Some are fun genre pictures, while others are serious works. Movies in this category largely feature pictures that have shaped or influenced film as a whole. And the list uh, largely inc- contains movies that have uh, shaped or influenced their respective genres, if not film as a whole. So chances are, movies you like watching over and over again most likely be found in this category. So it's just basically just a step down from ASAP. Uh-huh. Because the ASAP is a real special category. Yep. We typically don't rate many movies ASAP. That's true. I think I had maybe one that I rated mm-hmm. as an ASAP. Jones and I decided to rate our favorite movie of every year as an ASAP. Which I think is warranted because if you're only picking one movie a year yeah. to put in that category, I think that's fine. Yeah, unless it's like 2018 or something, and or 2017 or 20, you know, years with bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> and our rating system as a whole, we have a little over a thousand movies. I'm not sure how many, so there's still thousands more that we need to rate. So there's plenty of classics that 
you might not even find anywhere on our list and like, oh, they haven't seen this. Like, well, I haven't gotten around to either seeing it and or just rating it, putting it on the website. So right. it's always going to be an incomplete list because a lot of movies out there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the next one down is eventually, which is the middle rating. It's also kind of our universal stamp of approval. So like our list of eventually movies are kind of the best of the rest, so to say. Uh, we believe the following movies are basically either funny enough, moving enough, or impactful enough to be worth your time. Some are very well made, while others may be uh, guilty pleasures. We say watch these movies eventually, you know, before you die. But if we give this rating to a movie that's currently in theaters, we recommend that you would see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. That's always the best place to watch a movie. So that's kind of our last rating that it's, you know, go out and see it. Uh, our fourth rating is Last Resort. So it's a bunch of movies that we feel just missed the cut. Some of these movies are actually pretty good, but for one reason or another, we think they might not be worth your time when there are so many thousands of great movies out there. However, you could do worse and uh, watch these movies as a last resort. Some of them you might gravitate towards and say, hey, I really like this one. Glad I took a chance on it, but yeah, the chances of it are yeah, much less than films we have rated higher there's plenty of last resort movies that i like you know maybe maybe watch over and over again even they're just kind of there's always bad movies that you like yeah it's uh one of the movies i i rate as last resort are you know enjoyable i liked them Mm -hmm. but like you can go your whole life without seeing them and be okay yeah (laughs) (laughs) yep And then we have the dreaded never category. Watch these movies never. Uh, You should probably just not even bother unless you like watching terrible movies, which, you know, to each their own. Yeah. But we write these movies, you know, watch this movie never. Some of those would include films like Beverly Hills Cop 3, uh, Die Another Day, um, A Good Day to Die Hard, uh, Nothing But Trouble, some Pirates of the Caribbean movies. (laughs) Rocky Five, that was like a big one. Like Rocky Five is, that's the picture I have for that <laughs> for that category. But um, yeah, we just have some. Although I still see Friday After Next is still on here. I thought I moved that. Well, we have discussed it, it. You discussed it. I thought I moved it up to Last Resort. I think you uh, said that and then probably didn't follow through. Yeah, apparently I'll have to change that. Because I add movies to the list about once every month or two. Okay. From the past podcasts, I look them up, put them, put them on the computer into the internet. Yep, on the world wide webs. Mm-hmm. That website is wtmwatchthismovie.com. Um, so yeah, it feels good to get to 150, uh, but it can only go up from here. We just keep on steadily, but very slowly improving the show. Yeah, well, at least we feel we do. You say it. It's only up from here, but it could get worse. <laughs> good. You know, not all the episodes are winners. That's most of them are pretty good. You it's know? true. I, we try hard yeah. most of the time. There's an episode here and there that isn't so great, but... Yeah, there's a couple flat ones, a couple yeah. stinkers. On the whole, though, it keeps going up We slowly but surely. Yeah. I guess I should add that I'm going to be fleshing out the website a little more over the next month or so. Adding some things, cleaning some things up, adding more ratings, things like that. 
adding some new clips to the show, some new sounders and bumpers and whatnot. And we're still not changing the intro. I think we're going to have to keep it now. Although I think I'm going to edit it slightly and at least input the name of the podcast in the intro. Maybe shorten it a little bit too. Yeah, well, you got all those audio clips in there. (laughs) There's a couple I can maybe take out, but either way, keep on trying to find ways to improve. And hey, want to let us know what we could do better, you can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. That's right. There you go. The email. Everybody's got an email. Now, uh, let's get into it. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? Uh, I have four new release movies to talk about. You should go first, because I'm only going to talk about two. Because I've been okay. lazy as far as watching movies. You don't say... Well, there's been a lot of wrestling on, so. Yep. UFC, you've been keeping up. Been trying to clear some of the TV shows off my DVR, too, so. That, All right. That takes up time, too. Well, I saw a new film that is uh, among the favorites to win Best Picture and a, a litany of other awards at the Oscars this year. It is called The Favorite. What? Favorite is a favorite. What's it called? The Favorite. Oh, it's spelled F-A-V-O-U-R-I-T-A-E. Is that like best foreign picture? <laughs> uh, well, it's a Greek director. Does that count? English language, though. I don't know. Does it have to be foreign language? It has to be foreign language. For, uh, for the Oscars, it's foreign I, language. I see. Uh, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, he, his last films were Killing of a Sacred Deer and The Lobster. So he's kind of an out-there director, although this one might be his most accessible film, so to say, for the general audience. Still a little out there, but not as jarring as his previous couple of films. Uh, Starring Olivia Coleman, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz, Nicholas Holt, Emma Delves, Faye Devaney, Paul Swain, Mark Gaddis, James Smith. Uh, Storyline, in early 18th century England, a frail Queen Anne occupies the throne and her close friend Lady Sarah governs the country in her stead. When a new servant Abigail arrives, her charm endears her to Sarah. So this is another movie that I can't say too much without giving certain things away. Um, Like I said, it's a big awards contender in all the major races. Uh, Specifically... From what I've read, Olivia Coleman is leader of the pack for Best Actress, and Rachel Weiss and Emma Stone will probably both be nominated for Best Supporting. That'll be a close race to watch. Yeah, Emma Stone plays uh, Abigail, the new servant. She's a woman who uh, was of certain nobility, but her dad lost her in a card game. That, a, that happens. <laughs> To a to a fat German with a thin cock, as she puts it. Oh my! Yeah, vulgar. So yeah, <laughs> so she's been went from riches to rags. This really is our seminal episode. Yeah, riches to rags, <laughs> and she wants to get back to riches, but she's basically who, a, a slave slash servant. Who doesn't want to get back to riches? Yeah, and that's the dream. Like the jerk, a riches <laughs> to rags, or no, a rags, rags to, to riches, riches to rags to riches story. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of twists and turns. <laughs> um, and she starts out as a servant and starts, uh, you know, 
befriending Rachel Weiss's character and tries to get it, on the good side of the queen. It's Weiss, isn't it? Rachel Weiss. I don't know. Weiss, Weiss. She's British, so I just if she was German, I'd be like, Weiss, yeah. <laughs> I think it's Rachel Weiss. So she was in well, it's spelled with a W. It's Rachel Craig now. Oh, is it? <laughs> no, she's married to Daniel Craig, but she did not take his name. She was in that movie Bobble, wasn't she? What? Or no, that was sounded like you I was trying to say it like Arnold. Mumbled what you were trying to say. I was trying to say it like Arnold. Bobble. <laughs> It was Babel, but he kept putting an R in there. <laughs> no, she was in the other one, wasn't she? Like the Constant Gardener. Yeah, I believe so. They're like around the same time. She's in the Mummy movies. Oh yeah, I haven't seen those in forever. Yeah, she was the uh, she was the main uh, female. Anyways, hey, back to this. Um, I'm a big fan of the director's past couple of films. He's really out there, very original director. He's definitely not for everyone. I believe this film is right around 90, between 94 and 96% around tomatoes, but the audience score is, I think, like low 70s. And that's kind of typical of his movies. They're always very highly regarded, and the audience score is way below the critics. Yeah, sometimes the critics think they know better. Well, I mean, it's definitely, I can see why people don't like his movies. They are very unconventional and weird as fuck. Yeah. Bizarre. I'm sure there's a lot of audience reviews on there where they weren't expecting anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, what? What is this shit? Yeah. But like I said, this is more of a, I guess, his most accessible. It's more a straight up story. It isn't. It's a little different, but it's right straightforward for him. I'm sure that helps his Oscar buzz. Because if he was getting good critics reviews for his other movies and they're all eccentric Mm -hmm. and then he tones the eccentricity down just a little bit Mm -hmm. and then everybody's like oh i get it now (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh the performances are terrific in here Uh, i was engaged with it throughout a lot of funny moments he kind of makes dark comedies it's kind of his thing i will rate this a soonish soonish watch this movie soonish though as I say, it's definitely not for everyone. I understand why certain people wouldn't like it. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah, not everybody likes tea. I have another movie like that that I'll review in a little bit. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm just going to do a couple movies. I'll let you take most of the episode there. All right. Uh, first movie that I'm going to talk about is from 1981, and it's called Eyes of a Stranger. Mm. Uh, directed by Ken Whiterhorn, starring uh, Lauren Tuas. I don't know how he's T E W E S Tuas, Tuas. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. I believe it was his uh, her first movie. Uh, John DeSanti, uh, Peter Dupree, Gwen Lewis, Kitty Loon, and nobody really of any note besides that uh synopsis is a reporter suspects a creepy neighbor who lives in the high-rise building across from hers is a serial killer terrorizing the miami area uh so this is a horror thriller basically the basis of the story is uh there's a somebody going around miami uh raping and killing people pretty brutally 
Uh, and then the, there's this TV reporter who's doing her best to investigate the situation. Jennifer Jason Lee's character is uh, blind, deaf, and dumb, just like Tommy. <laughs> for uh, the musical Tommy, for those who don't know. From the Who's Tommy. Like, who's Tommy? Is he another, yeah, is he another co-host? Yeah, the Who's I, I, Tommy. I haven't listened to the backlog yet. <laughs> well, you probably aren't hearing much from Tommy if he is. <laughs> But anyways, so she's blind, deaf, and mute, uh, and so that really ups the suspense uh, because there's a very unnerving scene involving her uh, late in the movie, and I don't want to spoil too much of it. Uh, this movie kind of reminded me of two older movies. Uh, one of them was uh, Frenzy, which I had reviewed on a previous episode which is an alfred hitchcock movie um and the uh the parts that reminded me of that are it's kind of a similar story where they're both about a rapist slash murderer in frenzy there's a very uncomfortable scene where they show him doing the act in eyes of a stranger there are multiple scenes where they uh show the the perpetrator Hmm. Uh, doing his deeds, if you will. And the other movie it reminds me of uh, is Wait Until Dark, which is a movie with uh, Audrey Hepburn playing a blind woman who is uh, the victim of a robbery where there are people in her home kind of lurking around her trying not to be noticed and she isn't aware that they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the scene with Jennifer Jason Lee's character remind me of that, okay. but like maybe a little, you know, ramped up on the, uh, uncomfortability scale. Um, uh, 10 on the rate meter, so to say a <laughs> little bit. It's, it's very, very uncomfortable to watch. Uh, really tense throughout, which is always good in a thriller. So I, I'll give it an eventually, um, especially if you do, like, movies like that. Eventually. So All right. If you want to be really uncomfortable for about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, maybe that's a the theme. You know, I just said that my last film that I reviewed was maybe not accessible to everyone. You know, it's a movie yeah. not for everyone. I'll come to think of it, I think all four I'm going to talk about today aren't necessarily for everyone. And the yeah. one you just talked about isn't really for everyone. Right. Maybe the second one you talk about will be, but. So the second film I'm going to talk about is, and uh, again, these are all from this year, uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Heard of The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, have you? I don't think so. It is the Coen Brothers' new film. So directed by Joel and Ethan Coen. Uh, starring Tim Blake Nelson, Willie Watson, Clancy Brown, Danny McCarthy, David Krumholtz, Tim Dazarn, E.E. Bell, James Franco, Stephen Root, J.J. Uh, Dashnaw, Ralph Innocent. Uh, Storyline, an anthology film compromising six stories, each dealing with Did a you different... Say compromising? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Comprising. <laughs> I was going to say. An anthology film comprising of six stories. So they didn't put... Of six, I just put com- 
comprising six stories. I guess you could do that too, but usually people write comprising of. No, I think it's accurate without of. Okay. Comprising six stories. Allow me to try again. Com- compromising six stories doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. An anthology film comprising six stories, each dealing with a different aspect of life in the Old West. So it's an anthology film, uh, six vignettes, runs at about two hours and 13 minutes. It's currently on Netflix. Uh, it was a limited theatrical release. Ooh. And it's now on Netflix. That's where I saw it. And with, like with a lot of anthology films, you know, there's ups and downs. There's certain vignettes that are stronger than others or ones that you at least like more than others. Maybe yeah. one's funnier than another or more action-packed. Or Definitely, the, they're all very different. A couple of them are pretty damn funny. I mean, Coen Brothers are always great at comedy. Uh, others maybe have a little more action. Others may uh, tone back the action and focus on substance and what they're trying to say. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I'm a big Coen Brothers fan, so, you know, got to support all the, the Minnesota alums. That's right. Oh, you betcha, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I like most of their other films more, but this is still a good deal of fun. Especially if you're into westerns, you know Coen Brothers have done uh, True Grit, that remake, which is a little more of a traditional western. Yeah. And then No Country for Old Men is kind of a modern western, even though it's set in about 1980. But that's kind of a modern western style. Is it? Yeah. I, I can. I suppose it is. I like a cat and mouse. And I really liked that movie too. Yeah. No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. True Grit uh, could take or leave. Yeah. I mean, if you're not big into Westerns, yeah, it's probably not for you. Uh, I will give it an eventually. Eventually. There's some pretty good funny moments. There's some good action. And there's uh, specifically one story in there that is pretty... Uh, how, do, how should I describe it? It is... It deals with a lot of metaphors and symbolism. Okay. So it's kind of a kind of a fable, I guess you could say. It's pretty in depth. It's pretty uh very smartly written and acted, portrayed out on film. So yeah, I would recommend you check out Buster Scruggs on Netflix. Hey, you're paying for it anyways. Yeah. Might as well watch it. No extra charge. Yeah. What else did you watch, Brett? Do you, want, do you want to go again now, or are you going to do two at the end? Uh, I guess I'll do two at the end. All right. Uh, the next movie I have is from 2002, and it's called Barbershop. It's a good one. Directed by Tim Story, starring Ice Cube, Anthony Anderson, Cedric the Entertainer, Sean Patrick Thomas, Eve, Troy Garrity, Michael Ely, Leonard Earl Howes, Keith David, Jasmine Lewis, Lamar J. Tate, Tom Wright, Jason George, D. Ray Davis, Sonia Eddy. I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop there. Uh, So Barbershop is a day in the life of a Southside Chicago barbershop. That's a pretty succinct synopsis. Yeah, there's a little more to it than that, but uh, 
This movie was pretty good. You know, you know barbershop's a front, right? They <laughs> sell <laughs> drugs out of the barbershop. <laughs> no, but... Uh, Paul Mooney. Yeah. Paul Mooney had a, a better review of this than I did. <laughs> More entertaining. But yeah, this is this is a fun movie. Uh, so yeah, a lot of the the uh, the movie takes place in the barbershop, and you know the different characters interacting with each other and cracking jokes and you know things like that. And uh, Anthony Anderson was actually hilarious in this movie as mm-hmm. a uh, a thief that steals an ATM <laughs> along with his partner, and then has trouble finding a place to try to crack it open. <laughs> and it is a very trying day for him. That it is. Um, so, yeah, there's a... It's a pretty good story. Uh, not overly complicated, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters are, are really... Uh, you know, it's like a hangout movie. Like We talk about yeah. some of, the, of our other episodes... He's just gonna hang out with his characters all day, um, especially Cedric the Entertainer. Like he's oh, my favorite. Yeah. He doesn't even cut hair. He just talks <laughs> 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 talk shit to all the the young, yeah, he, the young men there. He, he talks shit to all the other barbers, and then they're like, "You don't even cut hair. I never. I've been here for five <laughs> years. And you haven't cut hair once. <laughs> like, good hair when you're not here." <laughs> and he's got stories about. Uh, civil rights leaders with a different point of view than, than what you hear in the you know mainstream media and uh, at school which is kind of funny to hear um yeah i uh i really enjoyed it it was a lot of fun a lot of funny jokes um but a uh, relatable characters uh and i'd say barbershop check it out eventually eventually the next film I'm going to talk about is called Vox Lux. Vox it's a, Lux. <laughs> it's a weird name for a movie. Directed by Brady Corbett or Corbet, possibly. I'd probably say Corbet because yeah. it's fancy. It's French. Starring Natalie Portman, Jude Law, Rafi Cassidy or Rafi Cassidy. Rafi? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't. Uh, Willem Dafoe is the narrator. Christopher Abbott, Jennifer L, Stacy Martin, Natasha Ramonova, Eric King. That's about it. Storyline: An unusual set of circumstances brings unexpected success to a pop star. So, this movie is more or less split into two. Natalie Portman plays the pop star in question and but about a good portion of the movie is her as a teenage girl who's played by Rafi Cassidy and I've heard a lot of people say that this movie kind of just came out at the wrong time it was a lot of festivals earlier in the year I think it was at TIFF and people loved it there that's a movie about a pop star that came out after A Star Is Born so it's kind of like mm, mm, yeah. not the right time sounds for like, this to come out sounds like bad timing and uh, but this is kind of the anti a star is born. This is much different than that. The star is killed. <laughs> uh, not so much. Um, although maybe I don't know. I can't. I can't be spoiling anything. Oh man, <laughs> Jason would be so mad because he'd be like, "No spoilers, but spoil it." 
So I don't want to say too much. I did not see a trailer for this before I went in. All I knew about it was Natalie Portman, pop star. And I saw it was barely fresh around tomatoes. And there was a lot of strong reactions either way. People seemed to people either like either loved it or hated it. That's the Jason method. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, he doesn't. We're going to look at the Rotten Tomatoes rating and then go see it. Yeah, but he doesn't seem to abide by the ratings because he'll see a movie if it's 10% or 20% at, you know, if his girlfriend wants to see it. <laughs> That's a... So I'm like, I don't even know why you look him up around tomatoes. That's just where you're going to go see. Well, I guess if his girlfriend tells him what to see, that's the case. But if he, you know, on the rare chance that he gets to choose, Mm -hmm. or if he goes by himself on one of his, Mm -hmm. one of his uh, staycations. Speak of the devil, I better go let him in. But yes, back to Vox Lux. Um, Like I said, it is very anti-Star is Born. Uh, the movie is, like I said, uh, I didn't know too much about it at all. And there's something that happens right away in the beginning that I'm not going to divulge, even though it's within the first few minutes. So uh, I wasn't ready for it. As soon as it started to happen, I go, oh, they're going to do this? Really? At the beginning of this movie? Uh, okay. And then they did it. But the movie's kind of about how we as a society, I guess, look up to pop stars in a certain way. Now, kind of our culture combines pop stars with, or I guess it kind of looks at how pop stars are combined with violence. And like a review I saw kind of talked about related to the Ariana Grande concert in, is it London? Yeah. Where there was the terrorist attack and people were kind of looking to Ariana Grande as like for like a response and. What what you know? What kind of great music is going to come from this, or right. how is she going to respond to such a tragedy? You know, and it's like those people aren't necessarily the people we need to be looking to for responses or heal or right. answers to <laughs> uh, terrible questions. Not always the most equipped. Yeah, for serious uh, subject matters such mm-hmm. as that. Did like it quite a bit. Like I said, it was a uh, very divisive. Um, Natalie Portman is terrific again, as I figured she would be. I will give this film an eventually. Eventually. And yeah, it is not for everyone. People, especially people, probably going into it thinking it's one thing. Yeah. Or people thinking, oh, this is like a Star is Born. Natalie Portman's gonna be a. You couldn't have done that before you plugged it in. No, it was already plugged in, wasn't it? Oh. Wait, he just plugged it in now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, let's... Uh, I think barbershops for everybody. It's pretty pretty wide appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else we talked about, not so much. It's all right, JC, you can plug it in real quick. I'm in between. I am just I just have one more movie to talk about. Well, he's, he's plugged it in, and then he just starts banging shit all over the place. <laughs> Well, that'll happen. Okay, I'm good. Go ahead. So hey, Jason's here, everyone. Like we're underwater. Hey, everyone. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> Cans working? <laughs> Do you got a movie to talk about? Because I only had two, and Mulder had four. Mm-hmm. 
We'll keep it to mind. This is episode 150, Jason. It's a happening. Wow. <laughs> it's the seminal episode, he said. <laughs> it's a seminal episode. Not the seminal. A seminal as in, like, not relating to semen? <laughs> <laughs> yes, not relating to semen. Very important, influential episode. Oh. So yes. I can pull in, Mike. We already introduced you, so... Yeah, might as well start talking. I don't want to mess with Brett's headphones. Yeah? yeah? That's better. All right, good. No, don't touch anything. Yeah. Okay. What's up? Hey. All right. Episode 150. Can you believe it? Glad I caught the end of it. Yeah, you hopped on probably around episode 110 or so. No, he means the episode. Yeah. Cut the end of the episode. Yeah. Right. But I'm just saying, I'm I'm reminiscing (laughs) about your start with us here at WTM. Yeah. Just over a year ago. It's going to come full circle. Talk about G2. Mm-hmm. A little bit later, mm-hmm. G two the NB. <laughs> the what now? G two the NB. What's NB? The new batch. Oh, right, that is part of the title. Colon. <laughs> Forgot about the colon. There's no colon on the DVD cover. Oh really? Damn it. May as well be. It's implied. It's an implied colon. Mm-hmm. Well, the last film that I'm going to talk about this is a film I was very excited for for the past couple of years. So I'm talking about Lars von Trier's new film, The House That Jack Built. Oh, I thought you were talking about Aquaman. <laughs> so excited for Aquaman. <laughs> Not so much. And all that CGI. I hope they use the same CGI that they used in Justice League when he was fighting underwater. Because it looked so fake. (laughs) Uh, This film stars Matt Dillon as Jack, Bruno Ganz, Uma Thurman, Sophie Grabal, Subahan Fallon Hogan, Riley Keough, Jeremy Davies, Jack McKenzie, Ed Spielers, Spilliers, that's about it. Uh, the story follows Jack, a highly intelligent serial killer over the course of 12 years and depicts the murders that really develop his inner madman. So the movie is presented as a, there, there's some narration between Jack and another man. And Jack is explaining to this man how his murders are works of art. And he picks five random incidents or murders to discuss, to try and state his case. Does it make it sound like he's being interviewed like after he was caught or something like that? Uh, it kind of sounds like that, but right away early on in, in the narration, he talks about how he's you know, never been caught and hmm. how he's gotten very lucky over the years. So. Okay. Right away, you figure out that he's not talking to a cop. <laughs> this other person, though, that is talking to him is present and, like, asking asking him questions and stuff? Yeah, they're talking back and forth over okay. the narration, and then you see visually the, the five incidents hmm. that he describes. And uh, Lars von Trier is obviously very controversial and known for extreme cinema. And this is the... 
R-rated version of his film. It's kind of a funny story. Uh, IFC Films is in charge of distribution in the U.S., uh, but they got into a bit of a kerfuffle with the MPAA because a few weeks ago they did a special showing of the unrated director's cut, which was the cut that was shown at Cannes. It was out of competition, but it was shown at Cannes and some other places. And they had a, his movies, they're not just going to get an R rating. Like uh, his last one, Nymphomaniac, was unrated, and that was actually edited down from his cut, the original cut seen at some festivals. They cut out over an hour. And but that one was still unrated, which I saw in a theater. But, you know, not a lot of theaters carry unrated films. So this was edited down to an R rating. And since they showed an unrated cut of it, after it had already been given an R, the MPAA was pretty pissed off about that and threatened to revoke the rating of the other version. That's just because the MPAA is a bunch of fascists. Yeah. Have you have you done like an episode about them talking about the history and why they are? A little bit. We've talked about how it's very arbitrary and, and secretive. Like yes. nobody even knows who gives these ratings. Yeah, there's not really a set of guidelines or rules. Yeah. It's a group of parents, no? A bunch of fascists. Somewhat fascist random parents. people that watch screeners and then they give their review. But it's everyone's yeah. own opinion. They don't have a checklist of certain things because one person might see it and say, oh, that's an R. Another person might see it and say, that's an NC-17 or an X or yeah. something like that. I was going to say, do you see NC-17 much anymore? Not really. People just typically leave it unrated. Yeah. Maybe... I wonder if there's some reason it's better to have your movie unrated rather than NC-17. Yeah, but uh, I think IFC Studios made a couple of concessions. I think they did something like uh, move back the sale of the home release or the home release date or something like that. So the MPAA didn't revoke the rating, but it would have been something like the third time in 50 years that they've revoked a rating or threatened to revoke a rating. So it was kind of a big deal. It was pretty rare. But uh, so I saw the R rating and it is obviously very disturbing. Definitely a movie that's not for everyone. I was actually surprised at the Rotten Tomatoes audience score. I think it was 75. Uh, this is in the mid 60s, I think, for critics. But his films are very divisive among critics and uh, audience members. A lot of strong reactions to this. People call it trash disgusting other people call it a masterpiece uh, you be the judge I'm, I'm a huge Lars von Trier fan so I mean I'm a bit biased but so yeah. I'm kind of used to his depraved uh, depiction of certain things in movies I mean how graphic are we talking here because you know there are plenty of horror movies that have a lot of ultra realistic gory kind of stuff uh, the most graphic stuff I've seen has been in his films yeah uh, although, you know, there's not too many other films I see that are unrated or something like that. You know, horror movies typically come out with an R rating. Yeah. You know, you don't really say many, many movies, period, come out without a rating, at least in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Do you think, do you feel like he tries to make his movies like realistic more than dramatic? Like, is there a lot of, you know, a heavy score that like, makes it seem really theatrical or 
like do people find it disturbing because it seems too real he does use score and a soundtrack in a very theatrical way sometimes in this film there's one song fame by david bowie know that song Uh, i don't know if you heard it you'd recognize it but do you know any songs some songs (laughs) have Uh, you heard of david bowie (laughs) yeah i know david bowie okay See, I, did, I I forgot the name of the song, even though it keeps on saying it over and over again. <laughs> fame, yeah. yeah. What is the song? He, he, <laughs> he just goes, fame, <laughs> da, 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 fame. It's almost like Jack's theme song in the movie. They play that song about five, six times. Hmm. Not the whole way through five, six times, but yeah. the different parts of the movie. Yeah. And at the end of the film, when it cuts to credits, I won't say what song it is, but a song comes on. And it is one of the most perfect songs I've seen placed into a film, especially the credits. After you've watched this whole movie of him slaughtering, you know, dozens of people or whatever. And I was laughing my ass off as soon as the credits started to roll. Hmm. Uh, It just fit perfectly. And it was funny. And I hadn't gotten a reaction to that to seeing the end credits start in a long time. Can't think of the last time. I was like, oh my God, that's the perfect fucking credit sequence. Hmm. And then... It's like you don't think about that when you're watching a movie generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, not for everyone. There's obviously very disturbing and horrible shit in here. Uh, he does uh, murder a couple children in one scene. Um, so there's that. And this is the R-rated version. So I'm guessing like it kind of cut away from the graphic part of killing the children. Mostly you don't see like blood from the kids really. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing in the director's cut, it shows a lot, I bet. Hmm. Like I said, this was shown at Cannes, and about a, from what I read, about 100 people walked out, and the ones that stayed gave it a 10-minute standing ovation. So, yeah, very divisive. <laughs> Killing children usually is. Yeah. Uh, a lot of his the past few films he've done is have been very divisive. Uh, he just kind of wrapped up what's called his uh, Depression Trilogy, which started with Antichrist, then went to Melancholia, and then Nymphomaniac, Volumes 1 and 2. He he called it his Depression Trilogy? It's known as the Depression Trilogy. Um, I'm not sure if he's said, this is my Depression Trilogy. <laughs> but they're all very similarly themed, mm-hmm. how the characters deal with grief, depression, things like that. Yeah. And he himself suffers from depression quite often. He has a weird upbringing. If you read about him, he had a very strange childhood. Um, he's from Denmark, so he's Danish, which is crazy because him and Nicholas Winding Refn are probably my top five most exciting directors to see right now. So I don't know what the Danes are doing, but they got they're doing something right. They know film, I guess. But uh, yeah, he was. Sp- kind of banned from Cannes for a short while, but they let him back in. This film is shown out of competition, but uh, I'm sure we'll get the director's cut in a couple of months. I did see online that it was available to purchase on YouTube for several hours. I don't know if it was taken down or they took it down. Like You can't sell it yet. It's in theaters or something like that, hmm. but there's a very strange release sequence that happened with this film. With the caveat that, yeah, a lot of people, even listening to this podcast, this is most likely not a movie for you. 
much like his back catalog of films. <laughs> Melancholia is pretty tame c- compared to his other works. Uh, it's not like graphic in any major way. Kirsten Dunst suffers through different stages of depression. Hmm. And it's about like one half of the film is about her wedding. The other half is about there's a, a planet that is on a collision course with Earth. Okay. So that could wipe out human existence, you know, as, as we know it. Cool. So, so it there's turns, a little sci-fi element to it. So it turns to deep Im- impact. <laughs> yeah, except it wouldn't you be... You Armageddon. Talk about depressing movies. It'd be like an Earth-sized... Impact. Like an Earth-sized asteroid or planet about to crash into Earth. I was pretty depressed after I saw Deep Impact. It was a pretty bad movie. <laughs> so, yeah, I love this movie. Even as weird as that sounds with some of the subject matter in it but uh you know it really makes you think it, it kind of asks the question you know what is art you know how can is ugly art art or how ugly can art get and still be considered art yeah um a little bit about um trier's own life and his filmography about critics and its relation to critics what they think of his work those who love it those who detract from it i mean some people would argue he does pushes buttons to push buttons show you graphic shit just because but i guess i offer the counterpoint i will give it a soonish soonish watch this movie soonish 150 can you believe it i'm having a hard time believing it yeah 151 is going to be our episode on gremlins 2 should get a bottle of bacardi 151 to celebrate thought about it <laughs> Brett doesn't really drink though no not 150 he might drink tamer things he's not gonna be drinking 151 we'll get some wine coolers for Brett <laughs> we could do uh, my caribou lose so yeah um, yeah a bit of a confusion it's been forever since I or I think any of us had seen Gremlins too. Mm-hmm. We, I think yeah. we all kind of forgot that it is not a Christmas movie at all. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but uh, it is a sequel to a Christmas movie, so we'll let it slide. We realized it much too late. Yeah. This is a yeah. Lincoln's birthday movie, if anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think we're going to end this episode and start in on that. You can reach out to us, follow us. On Twitter at watchthis underscore movie. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. And please rate and review, subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. (laughs) Hey, man, you're off my case.